Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Impossible Podcast, the podcast where I interview athletes, entrepreneurs, and artists about pushing your limits and doing the impossible so you can get inspired, take action, and start pushing your limits too. Today on the show, I have a longtime friend, Roshonda Cummings. Roshonda is the founder of the minimalist living Instagram community, Brown Kids. They're a community of about 30,000 strong, talking about living simply to do the things you've always wanted to do. Her and her partner, Aaron, also known as E, also both recently hiked the John Muir Trail, a 200-mile trail in the Sierra Nevada mountain range, despite not being outdoor-minded or inspired by physical challenges at all, as Roshonda would say. Ro dives deep into her background, the reason behind her hike, and some of the lessons, unexpected and difficult ones, that she learned out on the hike, despite not being a quote-unquote hiker. Her and E are some of my favorite people in the world. I loved getting to hear about the story when they first did the hike. I was so pumped for them, and uh, it was fun to unpack the lessons that she learned on the hike. So today's show is going to be a good one. But first, a couple things before we get started. If you guys want to support the show, go ahead on over to impossiblegear.com and pick up an Impossible shirt. If you're going to be out there pushing your limits and getting uncomfortable, you need to be wearing something comfortable. So pick up an Impossible shirt. It's a reminder every day to do something that pushes your limits and helps you do the impossible. Check it out, impossiblegear.com. You can get 10% off with promo code PODCAST. Also, if you're doing something physically strenuous like hiking the John Muir Trail, you need to be doing mobility work so you make sure you don't get hurt or injured. If you want to do that, check out MoveWellApp.com. MoveWellApp is 10-minute mobility routines designed to get you stronger, faster, and recover from injuries better. I got it when I started doing a bunch of different races and needed to get better about doing mobility work, and this is the easiest way to do it. 10-minute mobility routines designed to get you stronger, faster, and recover from injuries better. And then get on with your life because they're only 10 minutes. So check it out, MoveWellApp.com. It's a free app to download. All right, guys, that is it for the announcements. Let's get into my interview with Roshonda Cummings of Brown Kids. All right, so guys, today I have my good friend, Roshonda Cummings. She is... (laughs) I don't even know how to describe you anymore because you were just my friend and now you're Instagram famous. You're the owner of the Brown Kids handle and a through hiker now, I would say. Can you give people a quick rundown of uh, who you are and what is Brown Kids? Yeah. So one, I'm super excited to be here. And also I shouldn't be on this podcast (laughs) for like many, like many, many reasons. I was like, I am the least likely, but stoked. So I run a community uh, called Brown Kids on Instagram, and my partner and I are just like we made the decision to live our liberation right now. And so basically, we wake up every day and we ask ourselves, how can we be better people and how can we love on our community? And by doing that every day, like our Instagram exploded. And so it's difficult for me to talk about too, but you could describe it like a hashtag community, um, hashtag intentional living. And we have a minimalist bent to us, but not in the same vein of the minimalism documentary, which I know you've watched or maybe might know those guys, but just as a tool for financial freedom and self-directed living, which you just kind of have to address. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the short rundown. For the people who don't know, I've known Rose since 
college. It's <laughs> yeah. oh, been a long time. And for a long time, can we talk about like pre brown kids? Because totally. I feel like there's been a shift where for a long time you're doing a bunch of other stuff and then you started brown kids and brown kids kind of blew up. And then it's led to a bunch of different stages that we'll get into, including like hiking the John Muir Trail and a bunch of other things that maybe you never thought you would ever you know, start out doing. But I remember we were talking back, you know, five, six years ago, even, and you're doing some freelancing and stuff here and there. And then let's talk about your life post-college, like what you got into. If you can do that, you know, really quickly. And then kind of the impetus for Brown Kids, because you make it seem like, oh, yeah, I just manage this community. But like, where did that grow out of? And and how did that get started? Right. How did that even start? Well, first, I want to like take full, complete credit for creating Impossible and Impossible HQ <laughs> and like being the originator of Mr. Impossible. Everybody doesn't know. But so Joel was maybe like post I got fired from the post office and was still trying to UBS, figure out what he wanted UBS, to do. UBS, UBS, And like he couldn't get a job at Starbucks. And so... We knew each other from college. I didn't understand why he kept bothering me all the time. He kept on coming around. I was like, I don't understand this guy. and was like trying to keep you at an arm's length. And I remember this time when you had just gotten fired and you were creating your project and you sent me a Facebook message and was like, like you're never like, hey, how you doing? It's always just like a direct question of what you want at that moment. And so the direct <laughs> question that you wanted at that moment was, hey, I'm starting a blog. What should I name it? And I was like, hi, Joel. (laughs) I don't know, like what? And I asked you questions and I was like, well, how about blog of impossible things? That's pretty clear to me. I know what that is. And you're like too long. And then you went away. Like you didn't write back. You just ghosted. (laughs) And then I was like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pull these, uh, (laughs) Facebook. (laughs) No, totally. It was like, this is facts, everybody. And, uh, lo and behold, first post from the domain name blog of impossible things and i was like okay i did that but i didn't know you'd become who you'd become so before brown kids i started impossible um and then (laughs) i started like an online empire yeah yeah full credit um i'm still waiting for my equity I remember talking to you about it. I don't remember getting the naming recognition from you. I think we were going back and forth on stuff. But, no. Uh, oh, for the, for the <laughs> That's not what happened at all. Doesn't happen oh, at all. Oh, That's okay. It's it's yeah. really interesting what success can do to memory. <laughs> <laughs> so I was working in fact, up San Francisco, I had been hired on as a young person because we were both really young at the time. We we're like 22. And I got hired for this job that I was not qualified for and that I was not looking for, which was to be a community manager and a property manager of a very fast growing co-working space in the Bay Area. So this was like the beginning of the tech boom, the second tech boom. And so we didn't know what it was going to turn into. We didn't know what it was. There wasn't even the word co-working. And they wanted all these things from me. They wanted someone who can multitask really well. And I was like, oh, that's not me. And then they're like, oh, we need someone who's a people person and gets all of their energy from people. And I was like, oh, no, no, that's not me. I need to be by myself. And then I can you know, be really active here with you. And they're like, okay, great. So we need someone who believes in business and believes that it's going to change the world. And I was like, oh, that's not me. I just came from nonprofit world. And I'm really, really skeptical about what business can do. And they're like, okay, great. When can you start? And like, that's how I got into that role and got into community management and got into learning what 
business and social enterprise can do. But I still, to this day, like I'm not a business person. I don't understand how business works. I just learned ad hoc and used the language that other people would use back to them. So I'd be like, oh, so, you know, how's... How's that stuff going with API? I didn't know what that was. And I also didn't know what an ROI was at all. So yeah. anyway. So you started with that. And then I knew you were doing a bunch of different random jobs. And at like one point you were working for this like lady who was like, <laughs> you know, like ha- you're helping like clean up, like, you know, like typing out stuff and like, like helping her with her book or something like that. I'm really curious because like it kind of went to like you're doing that thing. You're, you're working at the hub. And then all of a sudden, like you and Aaron were together and then you guys started doing some adventures here and there and then started documenting it and then kind of that started when did brown kids start how did that start and like what was the impetus where you're like okay you know i've been doing this other stuff but like you know this is going to you know at least we're going to start putting some effort into this thing that you know we've been messing around with yeah. I mean, I love this question so much because it helps me think about the origins a little better because I can get lost in it. So during that time when I was working at the Hub and doing a whole bunch of odd jobs, and Joel will never let me forget that job that I typed for that woman. Um, he was so pissed about it. And I, it was so strange because we I didn't feel like we were close enough for you to be that angry <laughs> like at the way that she was treating me and what I was get, getting paid. But I think that little side gig was indicative of everything that was happening, which was I was just in positions that I was not meant for and not treated very well in them. Underpaid, but didn't believe I could ever be paid more or compensated more. And it wasn't like I was going after money, but I just didn't know my worth. So all of this sort of stuff congealed into this very discontent and unhappy living. And so working at the hub, I was overworking myself and was so stressed and and feeling like this really intense imposter syndrome because I literally didn't know what I was doing. And I was responsible for so much and they should not have given so much to such a young person. And it was stressing me out and I didn't know how to get out of this situation. I met Aaron. Uh, Aaron is my partner. We met online and we just kind of started dating. And I wasn't really into him in the beginning, but he just kept on coming around. It kind of came to a head where I had my first panic attack because of work. I was on my way to work. I was late to work and I couldn't get on the BART, which was the subway there because I I just couldn't, I literally couldn't get out of the car. And I felt like I was dying and I was just sobbing and crying and shaking. And I said, I can't get out. Like I can't go back there. And that was the first impetus because E looked at me and he said, well, let's not like, let's just leave. And so that was the beginning. It was almost like a pack that we had made silently of like, no, our life needs to look completely different. And what do we need to be doing? So it started with the sabbatical and it just started with us getting on Instagram and telling the story of these little side adventures that we would do. And we didn't know that it was going to turn into what it turned into. So it was a Tumblr blog at first, wasn't it? Or something like that? Like, yeah, 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 like- yeah. It was like, well, there's like all of these travel pages now for people of color because um, E and I are Black American or African American. And so we thought we were going to be the first people to do that. Like we were going <laughs> to we were gonna usher in the Renaissance and that wasn't us. But we started a Tumblr as an yeah. effort. I remember, you know, you, you said, yeah, I don't know why you're so mad about this. And, and I, I remember talking to you at one point and you were saying like what this lady was paying you and then what she was expecting out of you and like where she was telling you to go around and, and do stuff. And, and I was just like, I think I had quit 
my job recently. Yeah. Um, at that true. point. And I think I was on this kick where I was at my job and I said, it was one of those things where I literally felt like I'd rather go back to work at UPS and stay at that job. Mm-hmm. And I was on this kick of like, Everybody should like, like don't you take any crap. And so I think that's probably why like I was like outsizedly mad, uh, maybe even more than you were about it. It's one of those things where things have to get bad, and you know sometimes if things are just kind of bad, you know it's tolerable and like you can deal with it. But I'm interested in the fact that it had to get to a point where you're like I can't keep doing this yeah. this way. And I found that that's a lot of ways that people make those big changes or make that shift where it's like, I got away with doing this for a long time and it wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. But then something happened and it got horrible. So I had to, yeah, I had to do something really, even if really, it seemed really. drastic or scary or whatever, yeah. because I couldn't keep doing that. Yeah. And to add to that thought, I think not only for me, the impetus for change in many people's lives and in my own life is when you're body starts telling you that something is wrong is when the biggest changes start to happen. You know, I think it's okay for like things to get bad and like some shitty things happen at work and you're like, whoa, like that was sexual harassment. Like I need to, you know, do something different. But I think oftentimes, especially when you're really ambitious or you want something different for yourself, you're like separated from your brain and your body. So your brain's like, I could do this. I can figure this out. And your body is still feeling and sensing and it will tell you when enough is enough. Sometimes you just don't know until your body shuts down. So other people, it's like cancer or illness. And for me, it was like my first panic attack. I think it came on so suddenly and I'd never experienced anything like it before that I didn't know what was going on. But my body was screaming at me, you know. And so, and after that, I talked to a friend, and I said, like, I just had a panic attack, and I was super depressed about it. And he looked at me, and he smiled and laughed, and he was like, "Great." I was like, "I don't understand what you're talking about." And he goes, "Oh, now you know what your limits are." And I just remember Mm -hmm. being super. I was furious at him because I felt like I I was wanting like sympathy, and he was telling me that it was a, a signal. And honestly, today, like five years later, he couldn't have been more right. That's cool. You mentioned you went from like this panic attack and you just kind of like threw out sabbatical right there. But can you talk about like that transition? And then like, how many years has it been since that happened? Yeah, it's been, I think it's been like five years or four years okay. at least. But um, so he looked at me and he's like, let's just leave. Let's quit your job. And granted, I had just met this man, like maybe mm-hmm. five months into this relationship. And all of a sudden he was looking at me and he's like, let's travel like we said that we want to travel and i am working in tech and i'm not making tech money but i'm definitely making more than your average 22 year old in the midwest being in the bay area i have like forty thousand dollars and i'm like or that's my salary and i was like okay let's just go because i can't i can't go to work obviously i took the day off and we just started scheming and so we saved up for eight months and I told them three months in advance that I was leaving because you need at least that much forward notice. And then we found the spot that I felt like we could live on a little bit of money, like a few thousand dollars, which was Thailand. Were you there at the same time or maybe around there? No, I think I came like six months after or something like that. Like it, I, you guys were definitely in Thailand before I was there because that was like 2013 or something like that. I didn't get out to Asia until... 
Yeah, maybe later that year. Okay. All right. All right. I was. Fair and then I think I went to. I think I went to Vietnam or something like that. Like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. Vietnam's awesome. And I was like, I haven't been there yet. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> so yeah, we fled the country, and that was E's first time traveling ever. Like he'd okay. never been out of the country, and his first time was 17 hours on a plane flight across the Pacific. And we were there for about like four months, five months. Right. And then came home because we ran out of money. And after that, we knew that things couldn't go back to the way that they were. So I got into a period of like getting to a shitty job. But like that experience for the both of us really changed us where we're like, nah, we're going to have to figure this out. Yeah. Those are my favorite moments where someone's like, I can't go back. Yep. I can't go do the things the way I was doing them before. And so since then, you've kind of transitioned you know, types of jobs you've taken on. Uh, you started Brown Kids, which, you know, there's a couple of business aspects that we can talk about. But then you guys have also like kind of implemented quite a bit more adventure, I would say, into your life than maybe you were doing previously. It's interesting being there from the beginning and kind of seeing the transition, but it's also blurs a lot of the timeline for me because I remember all the different in- individual incidents, but I don't always remember like the connective tissue. But I remember like the Tumblr blog that you had going on when you were first starting that. And then there was a transition maybe about a year and a half ago where you really pushed into Instagram. And then in the last, what, two years, year and a half, you've grown from like, you know, pretty much 500,000 people to like a community of about 30,000 people. Is that right? <laughs> 500,000. Yeah. Um, so here's, I think. This 500 is, to 1,000. Yeah, 500, I was like, I was like, whoa, this is big numbers. I think here's what happened. So I had got back into the hub after coming back to the Bay Area and was working and was responsible for that community. And they were both high gross communities and like super fast growing. I think a lot of community spaces around the country wish for that kind of growth. And what I was experiencing was that so many people knew me, but I didn't feel like I was known at all. And so I just had like this really depressing birthday. Like I felt sad around my birthday and I was sitting in my home up north from my job. I I lived in Vallejo at the time and was thinking to myself, who can I call to talk to about this? And I couldn't think of a single person. I had just fallen out with my best friend and we were estranged. And I like your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your spouse is not the person for that. Like, yes, for some comfort, but they can't be your emotional crutch. Like you have to spread that out. And I thought to myself in that moment, like how lonely I was and you know me, which like everyone else doesn't know, but I haven't had a cell phone for 13 years. You've hated that about me. And I have tried to stay away from social media. Yeah, everyone doesn't know. Like he would send me these. Well, we're coordinating the podcast. Instagram Instagram direct messaging. Yeah, email still. And you'd always be like, get a phone, you know, and like that's all the message would say. You're making me sound like a really bad friend. No, no, no. I'll I'll roll with it. No, Joel's one of my favorite people ever. You know, we had started a little Instagram account on E's phone, you know, to capture some of our travels. And so I looked at E one day and I was like, well, what if we take this Instagram seriously? Like, what if I create some intentions for myself, which is I want to have like three badass women I aspire to be. And I want to make maybe like six or seven friends. Um, And 
then I just started on Instagram and I was like, I'm, I'm going to do that. But also I understood that we needed to say something and be of, of value. We needed to offer something to people because we couldn't just take a picture of like flowers every day. Like that couldn't be our thing. What was it that made us a little bit interesting? And at the time we both, when we met, we wanted to live smaller lives. Like we didn't want to have like huge mansions or huge surroundings or environments or that kinds of things. We just wanted to have just enough. And that was markedly different from what our families wanted necessarily. And I was managing a shopping addiction and I wanted to figure out how could I learn to treat myself better on less. And so I said, like, I guess what makes us stand out is in a way we're like two black people who are minimalists. And this is before I really understood what the word was or had definitely seen the documentary. And so by coming out with that very strong point of view, it was like gangbusters. We were basically saying like, hey, we're two brown people and we want to live lives that we're proud of. And this is how we're doing it. And we're kind of doing it by going the opposite way, which is we're trying to figure out how to make our lives smaller, not bigger. Can you go into why? Okay, smaller. That's cool. But like, what was the re? Like, there, there's usually an inciting reason why you're like, when you quit your job, you realize like, I can't keep doing this, and mm-hmm. so like, that was the reason you end up quitting your job. So, downsizing or you know, simplifying things, like you hadn't been living like that for a little bit. What was the inciting incident, or what was the reason why you're like, you know, what in my life needs to change, and because of that need, we're going to do this. Yeah, it was a fascinating kind of logical sequence because I just came to this answer differently than how other people would. So I think what we like to hear is you're like people who are minimalists are like, I'm making so much money and it makes me so unhappy. And I was like, fuck that. Like I had no money because I spent it all and I wasn't really making a lot anyway. But I sat and thought to myself and I was like, okay, I've got myself into personal credit card debt because I have a shopping addiction and love to buy things to cover up these feelings of like, I don't really like my job and I can't figure out how to get out traveling again. And then also like seeing you running around the world and like doing these ultra marathons and traveling and doing what you want and doing really well in your business. I was like, "Ah, like, why does that feel so far away from me? And I thought about all the trappings around me and I was like, all right, look, let's do an inventory. What do I got? I got debt. (laughs) I got, uh, I live in the Bay Area and it's hard to afford everything. And I have this job that I don't like and doesn't pay me very much, but I need the job to pay off the debt. So here's maybe what I can do. What if I try to figure out how to pay off that debt and then I don't have to work at this job and then I can like decide where else I want to work because I don't have this big stress. And when I asked that question, then it made me evaluate how much I was spending and how much I had. And at the time I always felt like, oh, I, I don't have any money. And I was like, no, 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 no. Actually, I have tons of money. It's just in my stuff. And so I began to rethink the things that I owned and rethought how much I spent so I could try to figure out how to up my payments and get out of debt. And I like set this bygone goal of like three years or something and then just started talking about it on Instagram that way. And so almost like unintentionally, we started moving into a smaller life. And instead of it taking three years, I paid off $11,000 of credit card debt in 11 months. Yeah. I love that because sometimes it's easy to gloss over like, oh, yeah, we just decided to start simplifying things. But like that reason why it's that big motivation that turns you into a bat out of hell. That's like, oh, I'm not just going to 
I'm not just going to take an attempt at this and maybe finish it in three, four years when right. I can. 11 months because uh, I'm sick of this thing and it's staring me in the face and I'm going to get after it. I love that motivating reason, that like that inciting incident, if you will, because it just kind of adds the energy to uh, the action that I feel like most people, if they're wanting to make a change and they haven't, that why, that reason why is, and really understanding and crystallizing it is is kind of the missing piece if uh, someone really wants to do something difficult and different from what they've done in the past. Yeah. And I think I would add to say to that, I think that also envisioning what it could look like if things were different for you, because I could see it and feel it vividly. Um, in my mind when I closed my eyes and it might not have been like shapes, like I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that if I didn't have this particular job and I could get rid of this debt, I could, I could feel like what it meant to get up and do work that mattered every day and work that I was good at. And like to live in a way where I wasn't worried about how I was going to pay off a balance that was just over my head. I know a lot of us have that. We have like student debt and we have like med school debt or we have like debt that we inherited from our parents or personal debt. And so we feel like the numbers are so big that we're like never going to get out of it. And it's hard to imagine, but what if we dared to? And I feel like when we dare to and then we envision it and then we marry it with a kind of motivation things just get crazy from there and like exciting and exhilarating. And I didn't think I was going to achieve what I did because I have no discipline. Like, like we, we could talk about this later and like what makes the rest of the story quite interesting is that I'm not a disciplined person. I don't have routines. <laughs> like you couldn't ask me if you woke up like, what do you do, Road? I, I don't know. I don't have it. When I had my first feelings of, oh, I'm paying this off. Look what I did. Like, look how much I was able to spend or rethink or be creative. It just became addicting after that. And I wanted to see what else I could do and like what else I was made of. And after the end of the 11 months, I see myself completely differently as a person. It was like in the process of doing a new thing, I was creating a new story. And the new story is what became true about me. So I was literally just going to bring up the power of story. And I actually did a podcast a few weeks back with Mike Pacione. I believe it's episode number 19. If you guys want to check that out. The idea is you're living a story of like, I'm the stressed out, you know, broke girl that has like, you know, really like shopping and that's bringing me happiness. And that's the story that you're living in. And then you decided to change things and, you know, you changed a couple actions, but you really changed the story of who you are yeah. and who you are, what your values are, what you're capable of. And the, you know, I've mentioned it like every fifth podcast, I think, but the book Million Miles in a Thousand Years really changed how I thought about my life as a story. And when you can change, you realize you can change, you have effects over the characters in your story and that you're one of the characters. It really gives you a lot of power to do whatever you want to do. I love that you mentioned that book because I am not a fan of that <laughs> book. And like, <laughs> and like we've, we've always disagreed on that. And I love it so much because it was such a catalyst, I think, for what you made and what you created and what you knew about yourself. Like it was an ontology of who you are right now, which is like the concept of beginnings. And I read the same book and just did not feel that way about it at all. Like I didn't feel instigated in that way. To be fair, and uh, I don't want to be rude, but it doesn't matter because you literally did the same thing at you know in your story where you said, "I started to write," you know, you started to write a new type of story, and so I'm always intrigued by when people make these big changes. It's not just like 
I just decided to start, or, you know, you said you got addicted to doing some of this stuff. And I, I would actually even challenge you on some of your stuff. You said, I'm not a disciplined person. I'm not a business person, but like you're running this account and it's starting to become a side income and it's like kind of a mini business. And like you are like, whether or not you think you are, you, right. you, you actually are, and you are being that person. So it's interesting that evolution is consistently taking place and that if you can step into that change in the story, then you can start kind of going down that path. Mm-hmm. And that's been cool to see from my end. And I want to jump into, there's been a couple different things and we'll talk about them at the end of like the business projects that you've been working on and the couple different launches and classes that you've been doing. But there's this adventure that you kind of, you uh, and stepped into earlier this summer that kind of took me by surprise. Because, <laughs> again, this is, not, this is not necessarily, you know, something that, you know, previous row would have done. Ever. <laughs> but I want to talk about the hike. And yeah. first of all, tell people what you did. And then we'll jump into like where the idea came from and kind of like how this was the next evolution of what you guys were testing out. Yeah. So we just almost quasi finished um, the John Muir Trail in California, which is a part of the Pacific Crest Trail. The Pacific Crest Trail goes from Mexico to Canada and is at about 2,000 miles. And the John Muir Trail is a section of that. It's like the Yosemite Nevada Sierra section. So it's 220 miles and um, starts at Lower Yosemite Valley and ends at Lone Pine. And so like maybe a few hundred people hike it every year because the park has like a quota on how many people can hike it. But yeah, it's just like a piece, like thousands of acres of land that John Muir himself set aside because he was obsessed with the Sierras. First of all, you said you quasi-finished and you want to tell them why that was yeah, a quasi-finish. That's we, sad. It's, you didn't, you it's didn't quit. It's so sad. No, we didn't quit. And I was like pissed about it because my yeah. brain had said like, no, I'm finishing. We got kicked off the trail. We got yeah. kicked off the trail by Mother Nature. The Ferguson fire was devastating this year. Um, it killed a firefighter from Utah. It burned like 32,000 acres. So that for the first time in 30 years, Yosemite closed the park. Okay. And we would be hiking into a closure. So we had to hop off and we had 59 miles to go. Ah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. So where did this come from? Because I've known you for a long time. I've never known you to be a hiker, you know, even in in a lot of, you know, the other stuff that you've done as far as like downsizing and minimal, like it's not even necessarily a specific, I wouldn't have pegged it as like part of your quote unquote brand. (laughs) And and so where did this come from? And like, why did you do this? And then let's get into like some of the, the stories of the hike. Yeah, I'm not an exerciser and I don't like things that are hard. So that's why I laugh. I was like, I should not be on this podcast or maybe I should perfectly be on this podcast. So a little of the backstory is that Aaron and I, with our Instagram community, found this like vein where people just were getting really, really excited about van life, the notion of van life. We posted about it. A post had gone, um, just like exploded. And we realized that we had tapped into this aspiration of our community, which is to be mobile and to move. And so we wake up every day and we ask ourselves, like, how can we love on these folks? And what came back to us was like, we just want to be with them in person. And that seems next. And we want to make social media social again. And we don't want to do van life for like the hippie reason of like, it's the bohemian thing. But like, we want to move and be with people at pivotal moments in their lives or just like in the everyday. And so that's what I started working on. That's what we started talking about. That's what Eve was drafting up and creating designs for. 
all of a sudden in November, he sits down, he pulls up the iPad since we don't have a TV and he starts watching a documentary on stars called a mile, mile and a half. And the listeners might know the John Muir trail from Cheryl Strayed, which like the trail is nothing like that book wild, but he's watching this documentary of these like artists who are hiking the trail. And I am not paying attention walking around the room, fixing things, looking at him, watching it on my laptop, doing some work. And then he gets to the end of it. And all of a sudden he looks up and he's like, have you ever thought about joining the John Muir Trail? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I read Cheryl Strait's book, you know? And he's like, would you be interested in doing it? And I was like, yeah, I just didn't know we meant this year. But the other thing I think everyone should know, which is also very important, is that E up until this point did not do outside things. Like he is not a hiker. He's not an outdoors person. He doesn't like to be dirty. He doesn't like bugs. Like he feels like if bugs cross the threshold into the home, you're in human land and you deserve what you get, which is death. (laughs) And he feels like the same is true if humans go out. He was like, I'm in their territory. I stay in my territory. They stay in theirs. But something had really happened to him in this moment where like he said that he had always wanted to do when I asked him about it, he said that he'd always wanted to do something like this. And when he saw the documentary, he watched it and said, how can something like this so beautiful exist and me not see it in person? And so Mm. what was happening was he was beginning to write his own story in his brain. He's just creating something new for him. Mm. But I hadn't caught up. So one, I was confused because for the next two weeks, he watched nothing but through hike videos and was talking to me about gear. And I had to sit him down and I was like, what is happening? I don't get what's going on. We are preparing for the van. You are watching through hike videos. And he's like, he looked at Bubba me and he's like, I just feel like it might be more possible to do the trail first before the van. And I saw something in his face when he said that, and I knew he was serious. But I couldn't reconcile this whole idea and notion of him of like, who is talking to me? Because Aaron doesn't like outside. Like, he's never backpacked before, ever. I've like hiked, uh, backpacked all of four miles in my entire life. And he's serious. And so as a couple, we sit down at the beginning of the year and we like sketch out what's our three big goals that we want to achieve this year. And he looks at me at, over at Starbucks and he's like, one of my goals is to hike the Johnny Trail. And the second is like to buy property or something. And the third is some other thing I can't even remember. And I just shrugged my shoulders and I was like, fine. <laughs> you know? But you know, like I was really begrudging and upset about it. But the other thing that I think I had the opportunity to reflect on is that like he is my partner and a lot of what we do on brown kids is like my own ideas that come out of nowhere and i asked myself what would it look like to help make your partner's dream come true this time what would a new kind of partnership look like right to help him self-actualize and if this is really important to him why not And so I just, yeah, I mean, I didn't go through it willy nilly. Like I definitely didn't skip through this whole thing. So I was like, what are we doing? Like, this is the silliest thing I, what are you talking about? You know? And I also felt like he was being really overly optimistic and not giving me enough information. He's like, yeah, yeah, we could do like 15 miles a day and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, bro, like you have never hiked before. Like, don't even tell me you watch all these YouTube videos. That doesn't mean that you've done anything. 
you know, I was like really disparaging uh, and slightly supportive. So that was how, like, that's the origin story of why the trail. And and six months later, <laughs> got on the trailhead. So with that, you know, you're talking about, I was not a XYZ person. And then I did. <laughs> and, and everything you've, you know, like every single story we've talked about over the last 35 minutes or so has been, I was not this person. And then you, you'll you even still say, like, I am not that person. But then you do that anyways. And so... <laughs> You know, going into something like that, um, you know, there's, you know, if you've never been hiking before, you know, the first time you do anything, it's like a little bit nerve wracking. Like, what were you thinking going into this hike? Obviously, you were like, okay, I'm going to support Aaron, but like, also, like, what the hell are we getting into? Yeah, I was or thinking was I was no gonna... Fear, you just, you're just going to. <laughs> no, he was like, no fear. Um, and I was like, we're going to die. Um, and I, was trying to figure out like how to get a little bit closer to his confidence and how to move him into a little bit more practicality. Cause I might not have backpacked before, but remember like during college for a short stint, I did work in Glacier National Park. And so I was around a whole bunch of hikers. Um, it was my first introduction at Outside Magazine, which I like still love and obsessively read because they have such great writing. So I knew things like, okay, bears do this kind of thing. Or like, you know, like you definitely don't want to make moose mad. But I was trying to think to myself, like, one, how do I stay warm? Two, how do we take care of our bodies doing something it's never done before? And I, I love to make the difference between like, you can say 220 miles on the street, and then you can say 220 miles in the mountains. And they're two completely different types of things. You have to think about elevation. You have to think about climbing. And I just knew that like nothing excited me about the idea of carrying 40 pounds on my back up mountains. And he was like, I can do it. You know, cause like he's the one who works out, but he's, but he's never hiked. So I'm trying to figure out how do we do that? How do I prepare my body for such a feat and also, like, if dangers do occur, what do we do? And honestly, you know, I wasn't afraid of animals as much as I was afraid of people. You know, because, <laughs> like, you're so far away from everything. Like, I don't need some crazy person who is struggling with a mental illness who wants to come out and do bad things to people. Like, I got no one to call. Uh, you know, it's just me and E. And so that felt really, really terrifying to me. But he wasn't worried about any of those things. Why? I have no idea. I think you might have a higher idea of how many people are just roaming the trails. <laughs> crazy. I think most people are focused on, you know, when they're out in the trails, they're like, yeah, I'm going to survive for the next day and I don't need to go terrorize other people. But <laughs> so I'm really curious because, you know, you, we can go a bunch of different ways talking about the hike, but were there like one or two, you know, one of the things that I was bugging you about was that, you know, you did, guys did this hike, you prepped for this hike. And then like, I think I saw like one series of Instagram stories on the hike and that was it. And so, I got a couple different directions on this, but I'm really curious on were there points in the hike where you were way harder than you thought it would be and or you wanted to give up? Yeah, what did you do? So the first is like we didn't post a lot about it. One, because we were like the poster children for how not to prep for a hike. We were mailing ourselves food, which was also a big worry mm -hmm. to be like, that's nice this idea of like going hiking but when the distance is so long you have to mail yourself food what are we mailing and did we mail enough of it 
So we were like mailing boxes the day we were leaving, which other people who have some sense have pre- like have mailed their boxes two months in advance. Oh no, not us. And like also people are doing lots of things like endurance training. And we went on a few hikes because I felt like that was important to do. But if you think about it, we're in San Francisco Bay Area, we're at sea level. And the highest point in the Janya Trail is 15,000 feet up above sea level. And so you're dealing with altitude and you're dealing with like the tiredness that comes with altitude. The highest point in the Bay Area is Mount Diablo at 5,000. There's almost a sense of like, there's almost nothing you can do to prepare. You can condition yourself a little bit, but we didn't talk about it a lot because we weren't doing a lot and it was terrible. And it was like the day before. And I was like, I can't believe we're going to do this. I can't believe we're going to live out in the wilderness for 30 days. And why it's been a little difficult to talk to is that like doing the trail was And I think that you can really relate maybe as like some of the most momentous things you've ever done and also the grandest things you've ever seen and also the most mundane thing. Like the only thing that you do is you tell your body when you wake up, I'm just going to move my feet. And you do that every day for 30 days until it's done. And I feel like races are like that and, you know, like bigger challenges are like that. And I felt the same way. It was like, I really just got up and I moved my feet. And it was learning about myself in a new way while I was moving that I think was any kind of lesson I was learning. But it's hard to talk about something like that. But I think, you know, it's tough when you do a big challenge and then people are like, yeah, how'd that go? And you're like, good. And they're like... Yeah, and that that's what they want to hear and then they bounce. And you're like, how am I supposed to talk about, you know, the fact that it was the most challenging thing I've ever done? Like I've never seen stuff like that before or like, you know, so the way I always try to couch these things is either like pull one or two different stories out of it that I remember where it's like, okay, I had a specific thing happen to me, you know, at one of these races or like there's this point where I was like I wanted to give up and I like was going through all the basically going through and uh persuading myself on all the reasons why it was totally normal for me to just quit right now. And I try to go back to the stories because I find you can't encapsulate everything from, you know, one of these experiences that changes your life or, you know, it was something that you've never even, even attempted anything close to before. But if you come back to the stories, then there's like always a couple things to hold on to. And then you can process them a little bit they're kind of like self-contained things that you can process one at a time rather than being like, oh, yeah, the whole thing was it was amazing, but agonizing, but awesome, but life changing, horrible. But I would never do it again, but I'm planning on something next year. You know, like there's no words for that. So are there like one or two stories that like, you know, when you think about the trip, you're like that happened, you know, from the podcast standpoint, I'm really curious on like if you got into a spot where you're like this was a terrible idea. You know, like you're a bunch of miles in and you're like, why are we here? We should go home. Like where you wanted to quit. And like, you know, what did you do about that? So I think the two stories is like, there are two stories that I can think of. One that made me feel like, what in the hell are we doing? That wasn't tough and challenging as much as it was scary. And I was wondering, I don't know what to do if this goes wrong. And then the other story that happened, which was like a deflating moment that I wasn't expecting, and I had to talk myself up to really continue and to change the experience. So the first one is that no one told us about weather. 
And I really feel like people should be thinking and talking more about weather when it comes to through hiking or being in the mountains. Animals, okay. You know, <laughs> you know, like you break a bone, all right, you figure it out. But like weather, mother nature is a force. And so this, you know, it's the Sierra, so you never know what she's going to give you. This year on her menu was thunderstorms and lightning storms in rapid succession over a period of two weeks. And so we are, I think, maybe like a few miles away from Selden Pass. And we decide that we're going to take a short day and put up our tent, which is in this meadow. And there's no one around us, which makes me feel really nervous. Or Not this meadow, but we're like on the side of a mountain underneath trees. And here's the thing with what's happening. is like we know that thunderstorms are coming through because they've just begun. But I don't know what the hell to do in one. Nobody has any like consensus on this. Am I in the open? Am I under trees? How close to am, am I in the trees? And so we put up our tent and we're inside and all of a sudden in like a span of 40 minutes, this thunderstorm comes over the ridge and the thunder is so loud and so powerful and so awesome. It is shaking our chests. It's shaking the ground and it's shaking our chests. And then all of a sudden there's like lightning above us. And all you see is like the flash on the inside of the tent. And then the rain is happening and it is coming loud and hard and fast. And it's a mix of rain and it's a mix of hail. It's not coming from one direction. We suddenly realize like it feels like it's coming from four. And I think to myself, the only thing separating me from electrocution is this little piece of fabric. You can't see outside, so you don't know how close things are. You don't know if a lightning strike is going to come near you. But also a little bit more terrifying is that, you know, wildfires have swept through California and if a lightning strike hits any dry ground, all of a sudden it goes up in fire. And I asked myself as I'm sitting there holding on an ear, like E and I are looking at each other with our eyes wide open, thinking to ourselves, like, are we safe? What do we do if fire breaks out? Because you can't outrun fire, people. I don't know if anyone has ever shared like a, a, like a wildfire plan. And maybe you might in like outdoors trainings or whatever, but still like, what does that look like? Do we run towards water? Do we sit in water? Like, so all of that. And it was like about an hour and a half, two hours of this storm and just like shaking. And I will never feel the same way about a thunderstorm ever again in my life. (laughs) And it, it happened three or four or five times. And so like weather was crazy and I just wasn't sure like how smart was this? And I felt really unprepared and I'm just kind of glad that we made it out. And the second was, it was just after we had hiked 59 miles. Both of us had never hiked 59 miles before. We were feeling great. We had just come in from town and we had climbed on the top of this pass, which we'd come down from and we're like, whoa, that's going to kick our ass coming up. And it wasn't bad. And so we're at the top and there's this um, young woman up there. She's all the five two, thinking out loud if she's going to do this extra kind of like rock climbing ridge. And she's laughing and stuff and talking with us real quick. And the only conversation you have is like, how many miles did you do? And like, how's the weather? You know, like you don't talk about anything else. And before she, it feels like we're going to leave, you have that parting moment. And before she leaves, she turns around and she goes, can I tell you guys a joke real quick that you won't be mad? And I should have said no, but my mouth was moving faster than my brain and was like, yeah. And she goes, 
it's so funny to see black people out here. I just think that's hilarious. And I said, is that a joke? And she was like, you know, you know, because um, I have friends that don't go outside and don't hike because they feel like they're going to be lynched. And I was like, no, that's in the South. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it doesn't matter to me. You know, like we're all pink and we're all pink on the inside to me. Anyway, you know, let me take your picture on this ridge. And then she like went off and I felt so disoriented that I didn't know what to do. And I'm still really trying to tease out the experience and why I say that this is deflating and why I shared is that I didn't know that, I mean, I know that there are not many people of color who hike. I get that. But it didn't feel isolating being out there to see so few people who look like me. It felt pioneering and it felt empowering. Mm. It felt pioneering and it felt important and it felt significant. It was like every mile we hike is farther than a lot of people and it makes that mile possible for them. And to be in that moment where she's like, it's so funny to see black people out here. And I don't know like if you start your jokes that way, but I was like, well, how is, is that a joke? It all of a sudden made me really self-conscious in a way that I wasn't expecting and didn't think I could experience where I thought to myself, if other people saw me, were they just thinking in their head like, oh, it's so funny to see black people out here. Like you don't see black people doing things like this or things that challenge them or, oh, you don't see like black people or hear of black people walking this far. And instead of like standing in a strong stance of empowerment and a, a stance of possibility, I almost shrank a little. And I didn't want to be talking to people after that experience because I was just thinking in my head, like, what are they thinking about me? One of the things that I remember talking to E before you guys actually went on the hike was, I think you guys said something even like, there's not that many black people that hike. And E had some response that I was like, okay, this is why <laughs> and I get along. And he said something like that shift from isolating to pioneering. And so he said something along like, why can't we be like some of the, yeah. the first people to be that? Or like, why can't we change that? Yeah. Or why not us? And that's why you and I get along so well. But it's one of those things that you can have those things happen. And it's one of those things where with your community and the people that you have following you, it's like, that's kind of the job yeah. of being that pioneer is like, you have to deal with some of those crappy situations that you may or may not, you wish wouldn't happen. But like, you also get to change that stereotype and you get to like be on that cutting edge. And yeah, you get some bruises along the way and like, that <laughs> lady sucks. Like, I'm sorry. But the cool thing is like, you know, to 30,000 people now, you make that less rare and you do get to cut new trails and see new stuff. And like that quote that he had earlier of uh, there's this, all this beauty out there and like, you know, I'm yeah, just not, not going to see, see it. it like, yeah. I think that's a cool perspective. And so I know you're processing it and there's like a lot going on there. And like I said, that lady sucks. But I think there's a piece on that pioneering edge where it's like, okay, you got to like take some lumps here and there and everybody's going to have different types of lumps. But like the cool thing is like you get to change that perception for your community of yeah. 30,000 people. I love that concept of that. And I think that that's a great way to think about it. And I think is like, actually, what was the point in the significance? And I was, you know, as I was thinking about it afterward, you know, I was trying to figure out like one, how to write about that two, how to make sense of it. And what came to me was, you know, me like, I don't know where this comes from, but I have a rebellious spirit where I'm always like, 
all right, well, we come in, you know, <laughs> like you don't, you don't think you don't, you haven't seen anybody, but we come in and we're just the first. And that feels really exciting to me. But also it seemed like it was also an opportunity to really big up all of the organizations and all of the people that are standing and making a way for outdoors and things like this for everybody. And if you get to be kind of like the bellwether, like the person who gets to like push through that edge and to take something from just like a pioneer stage to a system of influence, how exciting, but also what important work. And I think that that's what makes the moments meaningful because yeah, we are walking farther than we've ever done before. And so we get to change our uh, self-perception, but also we get to do something for a people (laughs) that hasn't been done before and to demystify it and to make it less scary. And I feel like if we're not there doing that kind of work, then what are we doing? So, I mean, it gives you just a little bit more motivation and it gave me a little bit more motivation as well. So like also like shout out to all the organizations (laughs) who are sort of like diversifying quote unquote the outside, but also those people who are just doing like really great, amazing things outside. The cool thing that I've always found is like, especially in the trail running world, a lot of stuff just melts away because you're like, you know what? I don't care who you are or what you've done or where you're from, but like you're out here like 50 miles in and like we're both (laughs) trying to survive right now. Props on that. So like, let's, let's try to figure that out. Tying in a couple parts of your story from earlier was, you know, you're working for this lady and, you know, she's not paying you very much and she's telling you you're not doing this specifically, you know, correctly. And she has super high standards for super low pay and then stepping up out of that and then stepping up out of the job that wasn't satisfying and then, you know, deciding to like change, you know, stepping out of the consumer's mindset so you could start living the life that you want to do and, and doing these adventures that, you know, maybe you didn't think were possible for you. Like to me, that's the theme that keeps coming up, you know, when we're talking about this stuff. And, you know, anytime you get to that transition point, there's always that chance where you can shrink or you can take up more space. And maybe that's the challenge is just, uh, you know, own the fact that you're, <laughs> you're going to take up more space and, uh, you know, let people. Yeah. And I think also like a phrase that I've been telling myself this year that I think has really become manifest in everything that we've done. And I think maybe encapsulates all the things that we've done right now is like this year in 2008, I woke up in January and I was like, you know what? I want to be willing to astonish myself. And everything that we've done has been that. So it's like what we've done kind of in unintentionally is we've like taken the things that we could not imagine for ourselves and we've claimed them. And then we've done something about them. And so when he said, I want to hike the John Muir Trail and he wanted to be that person and he could see that person and I couldn't, it didn't mean that he was incapable. And just because I couldn't see what I was made of didn't mean that I was incompetent. Oh, And so in that, you know, we both kind of learned and I think that that's what has made life so invigorating to be in relationship with the community that we have right now is because we're all kind of doing that together. And just right now, E and I are the most intentional about doing in our lives. I won't say like we lead that. We don't lead that. We're like figuring this out together. And that's what makes it so exciting and a little bit more rich, a little bit more satisfying, I think. That's cool. I was going to ask you, uh, what did you surprise yourself with, you know, both on that trip and and this year, but that sounds like the answer. I didn't know that my body could do what it could do, honestly. And now I look at it and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can walk miles. No problem. 
Does that give you perspective into other areas of your life? It does. And I asked E at the end of it, I said, do you think I've changed? And he says, yeah, I think you've changed. Like you have a greater tolerance for endurance. I definitely always gave up. I was like, no, 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 that's hard. Like I don't run and I don't move because I don't like, like how my chest burns <laughs> at the end of it or in the middle of it. I can't run a mile even now. And I just stopped complaining. I was on there and he'd be like, oh, we have to get over this pass and it's going to take us two hours and it's a few thousand feet up, you know, and he'd look at me and I'd be like, let's get after it, you know, <laughs> and I just never would have been that way before. And he asked me if he had changed and I said, yeah, you feel much more tolerant of nature as it is. And so, you know, like bugs come on you and you don't kill them. You just either ignore them or you flick them away. I've never seen like animals and insects be given mercy with E. So, you know, like he's kind of just become more like outdoorsy kind of person, okay. which is so interesting. So yeah, that's, cool. that's who we are now. That's good. I like the, the, the transition in the identity of who you are instead of living in who the person was before you did the trip. I think that's important to like consolidate. I talk about reference points a lot where it's like a lot of times, even after you do something, it's easy to think about yourself as a person before you did it. The fact that you get like a reference, but you're like, for me, I didn't think I'd do that triathlon. Then I did the triathlon. And it's like, I could take that same you know, perspective and add that to anything that I currently don't think I can do mm -hmm. and then go out and see if I can do it. Because I've already proven to myself that my perception of reality of my capabilities is not completely accurate. So yeah, oh, that's a really good way to talk about that. And then you can keep kind of pushing and pushing and pushing. So this is awesome. I had a really good time. I know you've got a couple different things that are coming up. What's next? You mentioned van life. You mentioned, you know, a couple things on Brom Kids, but like what's next for you guys? What's you know, <laughs> your next adventures, your next projects? businesses, etc. I was laughing because it always feels like we're doing something insane. And it may be just like insane for our, our current capacity. So first off, we just moved across country. What up East Coast? Uh, we moved to Baltimore, Maryland, but we moved intentionally into a 140 square foot room. So we could experiment with tiny living, but as a practice for van life, because mm -hmm. in California, we had 800 square feet, which is still small for two people. And we knew that we would have to go down to maybe 75 square feet. So we had the opportunity to move to Baltimore, said, hell yeah, and didn't go big. We went small. And so we're hoping that this is going to be a transition. So we're going to be doing um, a documentation of that. There's talks about doing a web show, which is super fun about, you know, like what small space rental living looks like. And then mm -hmm. the other thing that's happening is um, we just opened Jar Method, which was a big way about how we got into um, financial freedom and got debt free, which was rethinking the way that we stored our food because food is the biggest category and we throw all of our money there. And when you can't standardize that line item, it just causes chaos in your finances or you know perpetuates unmindfulness. So we found a way to take fresh vegetables from three days to three weeks and it revolutionized the way that we ate, but also the way that we took care of ourselves. And so, yeah, we just opened a course for that. And it's not because we wanted to create it. It was because like our, we did it and told our community about it. And they bothered us for two years about it until we created. <laughs> and then you were the first person to be like, get it done, you know, and, like sent us like a, a little tiny investment. And I just almost cried at the notion. I was like, okay, I have to get this thing done. And so we just finished it this year. So we just created like a little visual workshop for people in 90 minutes, uh, change your life. Yeah. <laughs> 
if you could explain it, it's it's basically a method for taking and preserving vegetables. So yeah. you know everybody's you know gotten that bag of lettuce in the past, and it sits in their fridge for a week, and then it's bad, and then they throw it out, and the thing's completely unopened. <laughs> and it's basically taking fresh vegetables and being able to <laughs> like actually use them throughout, like you know, more than the two days before they go bad and then, you know, tossing them out and realizing I'm both not eating vegetables and I'm wasting money on it. So can you give like a, like a 20 second, like overview of like the bad version that everybody else is? Cause you kind of started this thing and then people visually, it's really stunning. So you have a lot of other pseudo Instagram pages that are like, oh yeah, the jar method, you just take vegetables and put them in jars. But um, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, <laughs> it's like, that like doesn't work. It'll keep it for like seven days. So in short, the jar method is you're using glass and you understand different kinds of techniques about what certain vegetables need. And we just used jars in the beginning because it was the most efficient and economical way to store it in our rental refrigerator. Mm-hmm. So you're learning about what you're buying. You're making sure that you're not buying anything that you're not eating. And then you're learning how to store it in glass or in jars in your refrigerator. And those tips alone will take you from, you know, like your stuff going bad in three days and you can't like eat it fast enough to like peace and peace of mind to three weeks and things. So definitely if like you're healthy eating, you're trying to figure out how to eat healthier. Definitely if you're paleo and you're like, I want to like get ahead of my vegetables. Or even if you're trying to save money and you're like, whoa, like <laughs> I think you were the burrito person or you're like buying burritos all the time. If you like eat out all the time, you spend all your money doing that, but you'd much rather eat at home. Like basically there's no other way to store your vegetables better. Like I know it's like an outrageous claim, but it's just true. Like there's no other way. How long is that open for? It's going to be open for the whole month of September. Okay. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. I'll have a link to your Instagram handle. Um, Any other places I should link or tell people to follow along if they want more brown kids? No, because we're tech minimalists and we don't have a website or a podcast or a YouTube channel. We just have Instagram. You can definitely hang out with us there. It is a wild and crazy community and we really do support each other there. Cool. I'm glad we were able to uh, set this up via Instagram DMs and everything. But uh, this is great. You belong on the podcast despite your earlier claims. So (laughs) thanks for coming on the show. I want to keep up with what you guys are doing and your next adventures. And, uh, you know, maybe when van life kicks off, we'll meet up somewhere around the U.S. and uh, do a podcast. Or Kilimanjaro next, right? Yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) I'm in. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that show as much as I did. I love getting to jump in and talk about the difficult lessons that people have when they run into physical challenges, especially when they, quote unquote, don't think of themselves as outdoor minded people or athletes, because if you're out doing those challenges, guess what? You are one. So I hope you guys enjoyed that show as much as I did. If you want to support the show, the best way you can help us spread the word, reach more people, and do the impossible and keep doing the podcast is to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts these days. Go ahead on over, leave a rating, review, five stars. It takes five seconds, guys, and it helps us out a ton. Also, if you need to pick up an Impossible shirt still, head on over to impossiblegear.com, promo code podcast for 10% off. Pick up an Impossible shirt. It's the best way to be comfortable while doing something uncomfortable and remind yourself to keep pushing your limits every single day. But be careful. You might convince yourself to do a 200-mile trail hike without any experience. Could be fun. Could be a good experience, but watch out. 
Also, movewellapp.com, the best way to get 10 minutes of mobility in a day to get stronger, get faster, and start moving well. If you guys want to keep up with me throughout the week, I am at Joel Runyon on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow Impossible at Impossible HQ as in headquarters on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or everywhere on the internet. And that is it for today's show. I've got another show coming up next week for you guys. Same time, same place. So until then, keep pushing your limits and do something impossible. possible.